Uh, know that you're welcome. Know that we're, we're so happy to have you with us and so thankful that God brought you here today. So we, we see it as a really important that you're here and we love you. And if there's anything that we can do for you this week, our, our numbers are on the back of this bulletin. Feel free to reach out to us and we'll do anything we can to help you. And I promise we'll love you. I promise we'll pray for you. But uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, we got some, some things coming up. Um, I just wanted to... to uh, give you guys an update about the free wheelchair mission. We raised money a few, gosh, it's been a month or two ago now, to uh, get these wheelchairs that we send to third world countries. And basically in third world countries, when people can't have a wheelchair, they just crawl around. And so it was nice for our church to partner up with a church in Idaho to raise money to get some wheelchairs. And we got uh, 485 wheelchairs, which is pretty incredible. Yep. It's enough to fill up an entire sea container and send somewhere, which is just incredible that we get to, to be a part of God's ministry on this earth. And uh, that's just one way that we get to do it. And just thanks for being a part of that. Um, this week, we have the FCA camp, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's a camp for uh, third through sixth grade. It's going to be at NCHS Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And it costs $85. So if uh, your kids are third grade to sixth grade, might think about enrolling in that camp. You can just go down there at 8.30 on Tuesday morning and sign your kid up. And it just, it's a great time. The kids go kind of go through all the different sports. It's like introduction to all these different sports. And uh, they, they get to, to play and, and do some things. And there's like a bunch of coaches there. It's just a great time for your kids to, to kind of experience sports. And then we get to, to preach Jesus to them. So it's a, it's a good uh, it's a great camp that J.C. Navarro is putting on. Then uh, we have a, a, a vision tour coming up August 4th. So Thursday, August 4th, a vision tour for our Crisis Pregnancy Center. If you're interested in going to that, if you're interested in what that Crisis Pregnancy Center does, talk to Murdy. Uh, there's a vision tour, which is where we kind of take you through what we do down there from uh, 5.30 to 6.30. It's just a great time to see what that does, and maybe, maybe you can plug in and be a part of that. We're always looking for volunteers to help out with that. Um, Tad and Rachel Byram, they're, they've been longtime members of our church, and they're, they're moving, unfortunately. Um, unfortunately for us, we're, they're, they're moving, and they, they've uh, got some jobs already that they need to, to get started soon, and so they're trying to get their house ready to sell, and they could just use some help painting and hanging some trim um, tomorrow or Tuesday. So if you have some time and uh, you're, you're good with a paintbrush or, or a little trim nailer, I just uh, talked to Rachel. She's back there in the back. We raise your hand, Rachel. That's Rachel. And she's, she, she could use some help. So uh, just uh, be a part of that if you can. And after service today, we have a business meeting. Just right after the service, we'll stay and have a business meeting. And uh, so stay and be a part of that if you can. Then we have a men's prayer breakfast next Saturday. So next Saturday morning at 7.30, up here at the chapel on the hill, we just cook breakfast, and uh, it's just a great time of fellowship, and we, we pray about some of the pressing needs in our church, and uh, I hope you can come. If, uh, come if you can at 7.30. Then uh, lastly, our Mexico mission team, they're down in Mexico this morning, 12 of them down there in Guadalajara. Uh, they, yesterday they were in Puerto Vallarta on the on the coast there, and they, they their plane didn't take off, so they had to get on a bus and uh, cruise like six hours through Mexico on a bus. So you can imagine twelve gringos on a bus. It was probably pretty awesome culturally and in every other way. 
I'm talking about culturally for the, the, the Mexican people. <laughs> Getting to see that is a, is a great because they're with Pastor Rick and uh, he got them there. And they're there with the, with the church in Guadalajara worshiping this morning. And what a great thought it is. And I hope that you'll, you'll just pause in this moment and just think about how we, our body is in Guadalajara with the body of Christ in Guadalajara, serving in a church there, encouraging, worshiping, seeing the spirit move. You know, they, they've got a list of ministries going on in their church that they've got to get done, and people are being called out, and, and the church is being built up. The kingdom of God is being built up, and we get to be a part of that. Praise God. Let's stand up and worship the Lord this morning. God, thank you so much, Lord, for putting your kingdom here among us, God, in Casper, Wyoming, and in Guadalajara, and in India, and in Zambia, and in Congo, and all around this world, Lord, your praise is rising up as people wake up this morning and go to church and worship you and hear your word and obey you, God. And Lord, thank you that you picked us to be your servants. You picked us to follow you. You picked us, Lord, to worship you, and you picked us to, to be your kingdom now and forevermore. We worship you. We praise you. Amen. Let's begin by reading together this morning from God's Word from Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Mike preach from this passage and as he hit this spot, I thought about Paul writing to his disciples there in Philippi. And this is what he wanted for him. He wanted, this is what was going to bring him joy, was to see them complete and to see them maintaining the same love. And I thought, do I want that same thing for my kids? Do I want that same thing for those who follow after me? Is that what will bring me joy, is if I see them walking in the same way? Do I want a new joy? Do I want a new start for them, new peace and a new heart? Let's rejoice in our salvation that we've been given this morning and this one purpose we can be intent on. Joy, 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 and I just gotta let you know. 
one another this morning. what God's done for us.
ago, got an uncle that had a brain aneurysm and should have died. Five surgeries later, and God just worked miraculously in his life. And I got to walk him out of the hospital last week, and this week got to see pictures of him out pouring concrete with his grandkids. But this uncle, for the last 20, 30 years, has would tell you that he knows the Lord, but his life hasn't really reflected it, and it's just left a trail of destruction behind him. yourselves to the priests, and as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. If you're a believer here this morning, you, like me, have been healed from the leprosy of sin. It's more amazing than dodging the bullet of an aneurysm. Well, my uncle had some amazing surgeries. If you're a believer here this morning, you've had a heart of stone removed and instead been given a heart of flesh.
We have so much for which to be thankful. Amen? Yeah. We have a team of 12 in Mexico. We need to be praying for what could God possibly do with 12? Think about it. Change the world, right? So we want to thank God for putting them there. We want to thank God for all the things that he's brought us through. I know that uh, sometimes we get overwhelmed with the things we're in. Let us not forget and be thankful. So would you just bow your head? I need to ask our ushers to go ahead and come forward, though, for the offering. Bow your head and be thinking about the things that God has brought you through. This year, this week, your life. And let's be grateful. Father, we are extremely grateful, first of all, for loving us, creating us, rescuing us from our sin. Sending your son to die for us. Raising him to give us forgiveness and eternal life. Calling us. Forgiving us. God, we're grateful for the individual life tracks you have made for each of us. That weave into the body of Christ and giving us each other as brothers and sisters, to be the body of Christ all across this world, Lord. We're thankful for our team in Mexico. We're thankful, Father, for what you spoke through Pastor Rick today down there. He's finishing up now. and The members who shared their testimonies. We're thankful, Father, for using them. We're, we're thankful and grateful, God, for the things that you have us in right now so that we can grow, so that we can trust you, so that you can show your face, your glory. We're thankful for prayer, for being able to pray and just talk with you and hear from you. We're thankful for your word that we can read. We're thankful for your spirit to live in us. God, we're thankful for the provision that you've given us. You have supplied every need. And the ones that we have that we're waiting on, we know that you will meet our needs. God, we're thankful for the finances you've given us. And Lord, we give you this offering. It's just a small part of what you've given us. But Lord, we, we give it so that we can be aware of the fact that you gave us the ability to earn. You've given us out of your hand in some cases, just straight out of your hand where we haven't earned, but you've blessed. And so, Lord, we give it back to you saying, thank you. And saying that we know that you'll use this and you'll show us how to use it to to give you honor, to do ministry, to, to take the gospel. God, we, we want to thank you in so many more ways. So the rest of this week, Lord, would you help us to be grateful to you? And we pray this in your son Jesus' name.
Amen.
message last week where we don't even see them as idols anymore. They're just part of our culture. They're just part of who we are as Americans, what we deserve. Lord God, cast that down in our hearts this morning. May we see you as the God that you are, lifted high above all these things. May nothing come before you. All God's people said amen. Sing this with me. In all my song kids, third grade and under. You guys go to super church if you want to. Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. Man, what a, what a blessing just to think of Jesus is better. You know, I was spending time just getting ready for this thing. And one of the things that really just stuck out of my mind as I was preparing is that 
you know, I need to be satisfied. How many of you are satisfied? You know, we, and I'm not talking about being satisfied by, you know, your house. I'm not talking about being satisfied by your car. I'm not talking about being satisfied by your job. I'm talking about being satisfied. Not wondering about a new house, not wondering about a new car, not wondering about better clothes, not wondering about better circumstances. I'm talking about being satisfied, right, because of Christ. We have Christ. He's the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords. He's got everything that we need, and, and we say that out loud. We sing these songs, and we should sing these songs. We should raise the anthem, you know. We should just cry out loud that he's, you know, the best thing ever, but are we satisfied with that? And, and part of the reason I was thinking about that is because, you know, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about Philippians, the last part of chapter 1 and first part of chapter 2, and we're really talking about conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're really talking about what it means as a church to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. You know, together with one mind and striving together for the faith of the gospel. And, and I got to be honest with you, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to me sometimes to realize that we are falling so short of actually taking this gospel that we have into this world. And, and I know when we talk about sharing the gospel, because I've done it for a long time, talked to a lot of people about it. I know it's difficult even for myself, but, but I know that, that at some level, people just check out at this point in time. They don't really want to share the gospel. They don't really want to talk about Jesus. They, they want him they need him. They say that, that he's the most important thing in their life, and yet they're not really satisfied with him. They don't see how crucial it is for somebody else to have him because they're not necessarily satisfied with him. And so when we talk about doing this thing together to live in a way, to walk in a manner worthy of this gospel, we kind of go, oh, that's for somebody else. But here's the thing. We are the church. We, the body of Christ, you and I, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, our sins are gone, we're now his. We are the church and we are not in any way to be like the world. We're to be salt and light in this world and impact this world. We are Matter of fact, the term church in the New Testament is ecclesia. It just means the called out, set apart ones. We're not supposed to be like the world. We are supposed to be different. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, don't, don't turn there. We're going to be in Philippians. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, because it describes the church very well, even though the term church is not involved with it. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Those are, those are incredible verses about who we are as the church. Now, I know that today the church, the church is really put at the back burner of Christian's life. 
I'm, let's just be honest. We come to church when we want something. We come to church when we need something. And, and you should get something from coming to church. And you should be able to come when you're needed to hear from the Word of God. You should do that. But for the most part, outside of our personal needs, we don't want to be involved with the church. We don't want to attend the church. We don't want to be committed to the church. We certainly don't want that church to ask us to do anything. And we certainly don't want that, the church to ask us to give anything. Isn't that right? Because the church, you know, it's not that big a deal uh, for a lot of us. It's not that big of a deal. And if it is a bigger deal, we don't necessarily know how to just come together and walk together. But the power of a people coming together in the name of Jesus because they've been saved and they're different is unstoppable. I mean, think about what he says here. We are a chosen race. We're chosen by God to be his set-apart people. He says we are a royal priesthood. That one's powerful. That means we intercede for people on behalf of God, and we intercede from God on behalf of people. That's what a priest does. And we, as followers of Christ, are royal priesthood. Isn't that awesome? Pretty heavy responsibility, but it's an incredible gift. We should find joy in the ministry of the gospel and sharing with people. It says we're a holy nation. Now, I realize that we don't always look that holy. I'm certainly fall short in my relationship with God, but I'm not talking about your holiness alone. I'm talking about the holiness that God makes us and gives us in Christ Jesus. And we as his people are a holy people, a holy nation. Don't you love what he says as he goes on? A people for God's own possession. I know this is my intro, but I want you to think about that for a minute. God is not our possession. He's not ours to manipulate. He's not ours to control. He's not ours to direct. We are his possession. We are his to direct. We are his to dictate. We are his to use. We are his for his glory and his honor. That's incredible to me. And we should be thankful for that. I've always liked it when somebody else is there to take care of me and to be in charge of me and to give me guidance and to, to make decisions for me. I love that. We have a God that made us his own possession. But then he says, who called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You see, before we had a relationship with Jesus Christ, we weren't a people because we weren't God's people. I know that sounds funny, but... Man, life comes from God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he changed everything about us when we came to know Christ Jesus. And don't you love the fact that it says, and I missed this, but it says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of, of him who called you out of the darkness. One of the things that I have to ask myself sometimes is why wouldn't I want to tell people about Jesus Christ and his excellencies? Why wouldn't I want to? Why would I be afraid of it? Why would I be ashamed of it? Why would I be nervous about it? It's as natural to me as anything else in the world because, man, Jesus is real to me. If you've been born again, he should be real to you. He's not a concept. He's not a theory. He's not something that you read about in a book. He lives inside you. He loves you. He keeps pouring out his love. He keeps guiding you. He keeps lifting you up and protecting you. Why wouldn't I want to tell people about him? Matter of fact, I don't have anything else to offer anybody when they're hurting. I'm not going to send you to a counselor because you need Jesus. 
I mean, maybe I'll send you to a counselor to share Jesus with you, but I'm not just going to give you some counselor that's not going to share Christ with you. No, I'm just going to give you a book and say, here, you're going to be better off. I'm not just going to let you sit in your sin and just destroy your life. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. I mean, that's what we do. That's why we would want to because of who Christ is. And yet, man, as churches, not just College Heights, but churches around this city and churches across our country and churches around the world, man, the battle today is to not just stand for the truth of the gospel. That's one primary battle, standing in that truth. But the other battle is to get out and take it. And, and I want you to listen again. I'll, I'll just read a couple of these verses that we've been over the last couple of weeks. Man, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, the good news that set us free from our sin and restored a relationship with God where now God through the Holy Spirit lives in us forever and ever and ever. We should, that should be great conduct, right? We should be excited about that conduct. And then to think that we would be standing firm in one spirit and with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel Man, God's word is telling us that, that this is about us together. This isn't just about us individually. This isn't about me making a choice to be about the gospel and sharing it. This is about choosing the church, not our will, his will, to be together to take this gospel. And then you read down in chapter 2, Isaiah put them on the screen earlier. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ... If there's any consolation, love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, those are nice verses if you take them out of context, because you can then decide whatever mind you have to be united in or whatever purpose you ought to be united in, but the context is the gospel. If you have any part of Christ, any encouragement in Christ, any fellowship of the Spirit, any of this love that you have from Christ Jesus, then we should be united in mind and intent and in purpose for the gospel. Guys, what we have received freely, Bible says we should freely give, right? So the challenge for us is to go, this is the word of God. This isn't Pastor Mike giving his opinion. You don't need, you don't need my opinions. They don't do any good. And I don't need yours, by the way. Right? They, they don't do any good. So you don't feel like sharing the gospel. Sorry. The word of God says we ought to be about it. If Christ is in you, you ought to want to be about it. If Christ is in us as a church, then our purpose ought to be together to share the gospel, to be about the gospel. I'm talking about living like we have the gospel and sharing the gospel like we have it. It's so important to us. And yet, and one of the things that I pray over and sometimes grieve over is, Lord, how does this happen? How does the sleeping giant, which is the church of Jesus Christ, awake? Awake to our purpose. Awake to the power of unity in that purpose. 
How do we come together to do this? And there's probably multiplied ways from praying together to going together, to encouraging one another, to teaching one another, equipping one another. There's multiple ways how we awake, but the primary way is to get right with God. It is to get right with God and say, Lord, you've saved me. Your great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself needs to be what I what I take seriously in my life. That's a commandment. The greatest commandment of all is both love him with everything and then love your neighbor because he loves your neighbor just like he loves you. And then to carry out the great commission and go and make disciples, that has to be a part of our lives. But this passage of scripture, I mean, I share all that because, I mean, we come down to chapter two and verse five and and God applies this passage about Christ to us. This isn't just a random independent description of Jesus and what he did for us. This is a description of Jesus that he wants for us to have as people of God, as people that are saved. This is the attitude he wants us to have. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We need you. We need you. And we're so thankful for you. I mean, glory, glory. We have no other king. We don't want another king. There's no king like you. There's no king as good. There's no king as faithful. There's no king as as righteous and just and loving and patient and merciful and compassionate. We want you, the Father... What we, what we ask this morning is that you would give us a heart to not just want you, but to worship you by obeying you, by caring about our neighbors, our family members, our coworkers, by seeing the power and the joy and the life that is in the gospel that we have received through Christ and sharing it with others, and making us a church that our purpose and our focus is on the gospel. It's hard, Lord God. It's hard. We rebel against it. It's difficult to stay there. It's costly to stay there. It takes effort. It takes work to be unified in that. But Father, this world is dying without Christ. Nations are being destroyed without Christ, our country suffering without Christ. And we have you, and we have the gospel, and I pray you teach us as a church how to walk together in unity for the 
sake of, for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the gospel. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here we have this, one of the most powerful descriptions of Christ. It's incredible. But you have to see it again, right? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude, this attitude, this attitude that he moves from this this moving for purpose with one mind to where we are to this safeguard of, of having disagreements within the body of Christ in verses one through four of chapter two that keep us from sharing the gospel and how to come together with that. He says, man, you people, those of you that are mine, have this attitude which was in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, here's the attitude I want the church to have. Here's the attitude I want the individual to have that makes up the church. Here's the attitude I want the individual that's walking with another individual in the church to have. This is the attitude that you're to have because this is the attitude that your Savior had and has. And he says, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now right off the bat, I mean... We come to this deep, powerful understanding of giving up, if you will, our rights, our, our positions, our glory, right, for the sake of somebody else, who, although he existed in the form of God, Jesus was God, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And there's plenty of scriptures that we could go on to talk about showing Jesus as God. The truth is he's God, and he's, he's got this position and this glory. I mean, in heaven, every created creature in heaven, from the elders around the throne to the attitude that we are supposed to have, then what he's saying is, is we have to give up those things that we hold on to that keep us from giving and serving and sharing the gospel. And I know that's tough. You know, I, I know a lot of people, the thing that they cling to is that they're insecure, I don't know how to share the gospel. I'm insecure. I'm going to cling on to my insecurity. I'm not going to give it up. And I'm not going to share the gospel. Some people cling to their pride. They just don't want to. And so they cling to that pride. And rather than 
humbling themselves before God's will and joining in with other believers in the body of Christ and, and making an impact on our city and wherever God sends us, Mexico, like our teams are down there now, they go, nope, I don't care what God says. I don't care what God's word says. I'm not doing that. Somebody else can do that. And we could go on and on about what we're grasping onto that keep us from living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. I'm telling you, if you're born again, does not that salvation not just bubble over into joy, but does it not give you security? Does it not give you peace? Does it not give you hope? Having Christ in our life, does it not change every aspect of our life? Because that's what happens when Jesus comes in. He changes us and lives and reigns and rules in our life. And if he doesn't, you're not saved. It's not an option. Not asking, I'm not guessing, you're not, because the Holy Spirit is God. When he's in you, he's Lord, not you, right? And everything has to change. So the first thing Jesus' attitude, he says, is I'm going to give up some pretty great things in order to save some pretty wretched sinners. And you and I have to do the same thing. Then he goes on, he says, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. You know, these are, again, incredible thoughts because if you think about God, you just think about Jesus. Even John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and where was God. In the beginning means anywhere you go back, you pick a place, a million years, a billion years, a trillion years, it doesn't really matter. Anywhere you go, he was God. How does that immeasurable God, how does that glorious God, how does that holy, righteous, all-knowing, all-powerful God become a man? Well, he has to empty himself of much of his deity and much of his characteristics. He's, he's not, he didn't empty himself of being God, but the characteristics of his glory, he had to he had to give up some of those. The Bible says, though, though we don't see this very well sometimes, the Bible says of man, what is man that you are mindful of him, Lord? God doesn't look at us like we are, like we are impressive. Oh, you're going to live 80 years? Oh, <laughs> I'm eternal. Oh, you can, you can do some things? You're a good woodworker. I made the wood. <laughs> you, you make wood, right? I mean, can we go on and on and on? Uh, we got some things that we can do, but in order for God to become a man, he had to empty himself of great glories, great power, great majesty, great position. Christ was fully God while he was on earth. But in order to become a man, he had to empty himself of all many, many great glories and characteristics. Even to become a bondservant. I mean, that one is powerful to me too because bondservants don't own anything. 
the Bible's a little bit nice when it says servant because the word for servant here in the Greek is slave. It wasn't like he was an indentured servant. He was owned by the purpose of the Father. He was a man that was given to do the will of the Father. A bondservant was a chosen slave. A bondservant was a slave that had the opportunity to be set free, but because his master had been so good to him, because the way he was living and had his family in that situation, he wanted to remain as a servant of this master, as a slave of this master. They would literally take an awl and cut out a piece of his ear that showed that he was a bondservant by choice. And it was a, it was a, a mark of honor, not just to the slave who was committed to the master, but to the master that had been good to the slave. So Jesus emptied himself to become not just a man, but he became a servant, a willing, chosen servant to serve the master for his glory. And think about that again. King of kings, Lord of lords, ruler of all, now bond slave. Man, we... We struggle when anybody tells us what to do. Is that just me again? How many of you enjoy it when somebody tells you what to do? You know, we, we want to be politically correct today and make sure we ask everybody the right way. We say everything the nice way. And, you know, I don't think God's that way. God's not politically correct. He loves us, but he's not asking us. And he didn't ask Jesus if he wanted to be a bond slave as a man. That was his will for his son to come and serve. Jesus said, that's my will. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life for a ransom for many. You and I, the attitude that we need to have is that we are willing bond slaves of the Lord God Almighty. Now, that scares some people, doesn't it? Scares some people because if we become bond slaves of the Lord God Almighty, maybe he won't treat us well. That's ridiculous, by the way. It's just ridiculous. We'll talk about that more in a minute. So the attitude we have to have is not just give up our pride, not just, you know, empty ourselves, but become a servant of others, a slave of God for his glory. But then he says, verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now this one is, is even crazier. He's already emptied himself of these characteristics and glories to become a man even to become a bond slave. But now it says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. I spent some time in Bible college, some months in Bible college. Uh, we spent time just studying this paper written by a guy some years ago uh, called The Humiliation of Christ. And it was on this passage of scripture. And we studied... You know, pretty intimately and intricately uh, things that God or that Christ gave up and 
and how even just leaving heaven to become a man was deep humiliation for him. But when you think about what he did to become obedient to death on the cross, the humiliation level just goes exponentially deeper. He had never known sin, and yet God made him be sin. He'd never known shame or guilt because he was perfectly holy. I mean, I was blessed to spend some time this week out at a horse Bible camp, horse training Bible camp at Scott and Christy Martinez's and I started with the kids in Genesis and talked about the glorious creation and us being the glorious creation. And I asked them, what was God's favorite creation? Because I asked them what their favorite creation was. They all said a bunch of stuff. I said, well, what's God's favorite creation? And one little guy said, we are. I said, that's right, but why? These kids are so smart, man. They're so smart. And he goes, because he made us in his image. Like, that's right. And then we talked about how, you know, God formed all the animals and brought them to Adam and he named them all and there was no helper suitable for him. And so, so God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him and took a rib out and made Eve, you know, and, and how Adam went, whew, man, that one's, that one's awesome. And how he made him be one flesh, right? And they came together. Do you know what chapter two, last verse of chapter two of Genesis says? It says they were naked and unashamed. It's a fantastic verse. No guilt, no shame, no regret, no remorse, no filth. Beautifully created to have a relationship not just with each other but with God is incredible. But then after you read of Eve eating off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and giving it to Adam, you know what it says? They were naked and ashamed. I call it the worst day of the world. The worst thing that ever happened in this world. Bar anything. No war. No atrocity. No genocide. No nothing can compare to the day Sin entered into this world and ripped our relationship with God apart and drove us out of his presence. And Jesus, for all eternity, had been sinless, no guilt, no shame, and to become our sin. <sighs> to feel the shame of my sin to experience the pain of brokenness. No wonder Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time, the Father had to look away. It was so wretched. And then to experience the, the suffering of the cross. And I'm not talking about just the the beating with the cat of nine tails. That would have been horrific pain, but this was greater. I'm not talking about them mocking him in the, in the, in the place where all the soldiers were and beating a crown of thorn on his head. I'm not talking about that pain. 
I'm not talking about even the pain of the mocking as he hung on the cross or the pain of the nails. Those things were all horrifically painful and deep suffering. I'm talking about the pain of the wrath of God being poured out on our Savior so that he could save sinners, undeserving sinners. The humiliation that Jesus had to go through, the humbling that Jesus had to go through. I mean, he humbled himself to the point of becoming obedient to death on the cross. Even Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You're talking about the attitude that Jesus said, these people are undeserving. These people cannot save themselves. These people don't deserve to be saved. They've sinned against the Father. They've chosen to sin against the Father. They deserve punishment. But Jesus said, because they were created by me, they have worth because of me. And because they have that much value to me, I'm going to give everything for them and suffer all this for them that they might have life through me. That's a pretty amazing attitude, isn't it? Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. So when we talk about the gospel, sometimes we just literally say, that guy's a jerk. That woman's a wretch. That guy, he's living in, you know, horrible conditions. And man, that family's falling apart. And you know, they, they deserve that. They made those choices. They've done this to themselves. I don't, I don't have to get down in that muck and that mire with them. It's their problem. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty thankful Jesus didn't say that about me. Oh, I was in the muck and the mire. I was a mess. Sin was not hard. Sin still is not hard sometimes. But I'm so thrilled that Jesus would humble himself to become obedient to the point of death on a cross because without his death, I would have no life and no hope for eternal life. None. And there's so many people that are living that way out there today. And it's hard to share the gospel today. They don't really want to hear it. Many of them just, they just tell you, get lost. We don't want to talk about this. But if we're going to have this attitude that Christ had, then, then we've got to love them enough to suffer for them. We've got to love them enough to sacrifice for them. That's the attitude that Christ showed us. And here's, here's part of our problem. I mean, we often come to that place in our heads, and we do it pretty quickly. We may not even necessarily consciously say, well, if I go that far, what's in it for me? How am I going to survive this? How am I going to overcome this? How am I going to find blessings? Because quite honestly, we, we live for ourselves very well. Or is that just me again? Nobody else out there living for yourself? Uh, even a head nod would be nice. 
we're really good at being selfish. And so we're always trying to figure out, now what, is it, what does it look like to serve Jesus and yet get what I want? What does it look like to serve Jesus and yet, you know, get ahead in this world? What does it look like to serve Jesus and yet have comfort for the future? What does it look like to serve Jesus and have a nice retirement saved up so that I can retire early or even make it when I do retire? Well, I don't really know because I don't have anything going for the future, and I mean that. I might have enough money somewhere to live for a year. That's about it, which is okay because who cares? Oh, that's right, we do. (laughs) I forgot. If we are going to actually live like Christ lived as a church, we're going to have to start letting go of some of this stuff that we have held on to. Matter of fact, part of what we have to let go of is the barriers that we've built up to keep God away from us. We build up barriers to keep certain things away from us. But when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to being focused on the purpose God has called us to, we put barriers up to tell God to stay away. Stay away, Lord. Because the barriers are up because we're afraid if we let him in too far and we follow him too far, we're going to lose it all and there won't be anything left for us. But you need to see the rest of this passage of Scripture. Jesus wasn't afraid to give it all away because he had a relationship with the Father whereby he knew God the Father was going to take care of his son no matter what he gave. Look at verse 9. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, Jesus gave it all for us, and then because of his obedience, because of his love, because of his sacrifice, because of the of the results of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, whereby he would save all who would believe in him. God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every other name. In other words, Christ didn't lose it all. Christ gained this incredible relationship with the Father. The Father lifted him up and gave him glory. Now the name of Jesus is above every other name. It's above Adam. It's above Moses. It's above David. It's above Paul. It's above John Piper. I have to look at Jason because Jason used to be a big John Piper fan. It's above John MacArthur. Certainly above Mike Cooper. And guess what? It's above you too. The most highly exalted man that ever lived on this earth was the Lord God Almighty named Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins and God exalted him to the place that every knee will bow. Whether they want to or not, every knee in heaven and on earth and below the earth will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now catch this last part though. That's the exciting part to the glory of God the Father. Why did Jesus come? Why did God exalt him? 
so that we could be saved through him so that he could be exalted in us and so that God would get the glory. One of the scary things about dealing with us today as a whole sometimes is that we don't care about God's glory at all. We don't believe that God's going to do good things in us when we follow him. We don't believe that he's going to lift us up when we give things away. We don't believe that, we're, that we are secure in him when we sacrifice our lives for others. And we don't believe that it's important to give him glory by following him that far. But man, when we follow him that far, we couldn't be more secure. We couldn't be more at peace We couldn't have more hope because we're right there with him where he is, living our life for the gospel, by the way we live and by what we say, that he might be glorified in Christ Jesus through us. And I I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take to wake this sleeping giant of a church. I don't know. But I do know this. That world out there needs us to live for Jesus Christ. God demands it of us to live for him, and we should want to. We should want to because of all that he's done for us. And quite honestly, we should want to give him glory. We should want him to be worshiped through us. We should say at the end of the day, Lord, no, I can't do this, but I'm going to trust you, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to love the unlovable. I'm going to love the ugly. I'm going to love the dirty. I'm going to love the hateful. I'm going to share the gospel with them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to encourage others to do that with me. I'm going to do everything I can to be in their lives and sharing with them my neighbor that I don't like that well, my neighbor that doesn't like me that well, my coworker that's a jerk, man, my family member that since I came to know Christ has rejected me. Yep, I'm going to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. I'm going to do it for your sake. I'm going to do it for your sake. That's the attitude Jesus had. Now let me ask you if you're a follower of Christ here this morning, will you just simply pray? Will you just simply pray, Lord God, let me in unity with other believers have the attitude of Jesus Christ who didn't hold, hold on to anything for himself, who became far less than he ever was, who even suffered to the point of death on the cross for the sakes of undeserving people, all because he trusted you and wanted you to have glory. Will you pray, God, let me conduct myself and our church in a manner worthy of the gospel? Will you do that? Now, I know, I know just as sure as I've been here for a long time, some of you are afraid to even pray that prayer. So here's, my, here's what I say to you again. Stop being afraid. Start trusting Jesus and actually pray that prayer and see what God wants to do in your life. For those of you that are here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to hear what Jesus did for you. He gave everything away so that he would die for your sin. And all who will call upon his name, the Bible says, will be saved. Will you believe in Jesus? Will you admit you're a sinner? Will you say, Lord, I know you gave your life for me and I know you can save me. And would you say today, Lord, forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. 
Because if you do, he promises that even today you will be his child. You'll be washed clean of your sins and he'll give you life and live with you forever. There's nothing greater, nothing greater. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who speaks to us and convicts us of sin and judgment and righteousness and calls us to Christ, causes us to step out by faith, to live for the gospel, to believe in Jesus, to be saved, who makes such a powerful difference in our life and makes such a powerful difference in this world. Lord Jesus, give us the courage to obey. Give us the courage to have the mind that you have, Christ, the attitude that you have, that we might give ourselves away for others, share the gospel compassionately and courageously. And I pray, Lord, that many, many people would come to know Christ here in Casper and to the ends of the earth. I can't pray this prayer without our team. Being praying for our team in Mexico, Lord, they're there, and they're there to share. And I pray that many would come to know Christ as they share this week. And I do pray for those that are here that have never trusted Jesus. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would rejoice greatly in Christ and what he's done for, for them. And I'll give you all the praise, Lord. You deserve it. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Our pastors are down front. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you. We'd just love to be a blessing. So let's sing. Thank you for the cross, Lord.